Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. So tell me something you really want. Give me some things. What's something you really, really want in life? Anybody got anything? Yell it out. Big house. Oh, all right. Big house. How about who would say they want some money? Who would love some money right now? I, yeah, me too. Who would say a vacation? relaxation, no kids. Okay, yeah, that could be amazing. Who's single and would love to mingle, maybe? Take a look around. Maybe those are your other single options. Uh, who would say they want happiness? Maybe some happiness? Yeah. Now, here where y'all are at with these things, I can relate to some of these, but I want to tell you, I don't think you know what you really want, actually. You might be like, whoa, pastor, think he knows, think he knows, calling me out. Um, I would be thinking the exact same thing if I was in the seat with you right now. <laughs> but when I tell you what I think you want, I think you'll agree with me. You want to know what you really want? You want peace. You want peace. You want peace in your finances. You want peace in your day-to-day. You want peace in your marriage or your relationship status. You want peace in your mood. You want peace in your life. It's true, right? We want peace. And not just for ourselves, but also for the world, right? Like who here would love to see like peace for the world? World peace, right? You might be like, I, I definitely do. I absolutely do. You might be thinking, here goes Aaron, sounding like a pageant contestant, right? I would like, have to say world peace. Definitely world, world peace. peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace, right? Like who would want it? I think a lot of us would. Growing up, the statement world peace was always like the most cop-out answer when stating what you're hoping for or wishing for because you would never bet on it actually happening. But as we sit here today, I want to ask it as a real and relevant question. Is peace possible? Like, is peace for the world possible? I get the realist view that says, like, not a chance. I've been there. But I think in Scripture, it points to some ways how peace for the world has actually already been put into motion. The Bible points to how you can experience it today, how you can help others experience it today, and how in the future it will be the only option. But there are things you can do to pave the way and get ready for that today. Doesn't that sound amazing? Do you believe that? Or like, are you experiencing some of that peace today that's already in motion? Are you and your friends experiencing that? Or your family, are they experiencing it? Understanding what Christmas is really all about what it has done for you and me actually is one of the biggest ways we can experience peace. Today, if you haven't picked up on it, we're talking about peace, right? We're talking about peace. This Sunday is week two of Advent uh, in the traditional Christian church calendar. Some of y'all might be like, so what? Like, I don't, I don't follow a Christian church calendar. You're, I'm not a pastor. I'd be there too thinking that as well. But what we're doing with this calendar and what this tra- these traditions practice is we're going to spend the four weeks leading up to Christmas as a church covering the real meaning and purpose of Advent. Unlike maybe some of your experiences you had growing up or even if you, maybe you never even had any, but maybe not totally understanding what Advent is or it being kind of boring in the snooze fest, we hope to make it relevant and real to your life today to help you grow in your relationship with God this Christmas. 
So what is Advent even, right? Like, what is Advent? Well, Advent is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. It's the coming of something, and it's a tradition that forces Christians to slow down and think about Jesus' first arrival here on earth and all the things that the people were experiencing before that, leading up to it, the feelings they were dealing with while they were waiting. But then Advent also is a time where today we look forward to a promise of Jesus' second coming to earth, the future for us, because Jesus has promised us to come and make things forever right here for all mankind. You can actually get glimpses of this throughout all of Scripture, but specifically in Revelation. It says this in 21.4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or, or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's a future peace coming for us. Practicing Advent today, it makes us sit between the two, right? The past of what people felt and experienced, and then also the longing of what we experience today. And it does this by having us focus on four biblical themes. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And again, today's theme is peace. The word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. Hebrew is what the Old Testament was written in. Uh, it means peace, but back then it was more beautiful, more complex, and it was loaded with ancient understanding. It's something that people would say as a greeting, and it's kind of fun to say. Let's try one. Say shalom with me. All right, shalom, yeah. Uh, it, it was a greeting, but it also means the absence of war, conflict, or to describe the restfulness I like to think of shalom like this, like just kind of like, ah, right? Look, who needs a sermon? Let's just sit here. Let's just rest. Ah, shalom is this. It is rest, but it's not just that. It's, there's more to it than that. Shalom means completeness or wholeness. It's when nothing is missing. For example, in the Old Testament, Job, he says this, you shall know that your tent is at peace, or shalom, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. When everything is complete, everything is whole, everything is present, ah, there's peace. Shalom is when things are complete and secure. With that understanding of shalom, if we think back to how we started this morning, asking, what do you want? Maybe we're without peace in our happiness, in our financial situation, in our schedule, in our relationships, because we're incomplete. We feel something's missing or broken between what we desire and what we're experiencing. Have you been there? Have you felt those things before? I have, and I still do, like daily, it seems. These feelings are something that I think we all wrestle with, but they also were things that weren't unfamiliar to the followers of God before Jesus. There was a lack of shalom in all the things that we experience today, but more primarily for them in their relationship with God and their relationship with others. Let me take you through a little bit of a word study of the word shalom throughout Scripture and how it evolved for people over the years. Uh, to start, shalom was what people were hoping to come one day. And if you were here last week, it's hope, meant, or hope means this confident expectation for something to come. They had hope for this peace to come. 
They had sincere hope for peace to come because it was this prophetic thing that people said was going to come hundreds of years before Christmas. Uh, in Isaiah 9-6, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom, or Prince of Peace. And then it also says in Isaiah 53, 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us shalom was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. These are predictions. Predictions for someone to come again before Christmas, before Jesus. Well, hundreds of years later, this newborn arrives and fulfills all the early on prophecies, and a messenger of God announces his arrival by saying this, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. The wording used here is not coincidence. This is the New Testament, so it's not shalom they're saying. The word is erene. And it's basically meant, though, to state a person has arrived. Jesus is to come to bring peace and whom his favor rests. And if we keep going forward, 30 more years later, Jesus says in his ministry, John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Fast forward even a little bit more. Jesus is killed, he's die, he dies, and he's resurrected, and he returns to his disciples alive, and he says this, on John 20, verse 19, it starts, On the evening of that first day of the week, when his disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said this, he showed them his hands and sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw their Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, I personally, I don't have a Catholic background, but this is a pretty typical phrase, right? Peace be with you. What do you say in response? All right, well, you guys, you guys are good Catholics, all right? Um, so you, you know the response, right? You know the typical response. And the, another version would maybe be an also with your spirit. Uh, I think it was changed to kind of fit more with the translation that uh, fit with Latin masses. But when you say peace be with you, you're actually saying let God's rest, his completeness, his wholeness, and comfort be with you. As that was Jesus' plan from the beginning, to make the relationship right between his people whole, to repair brokenness by bridging the gap between us and God so that we can have a relationship with God even in our imperfections. Even though we've done the wrong to break that relationship, he does the peacemaking so that we can be with him by taking our consequences. Have you experienced that before? If you haven't, know that you can, you can experience it at any time. You just need to tell God, tell God you want to experience the, the peace that he brings, that he brought through the gift of Jesus and through his life and sacrifice for us. You can say that in your head and your heart, and that starts a relationship with God. You're a Christian when you say that to God, that you need him and that you accept his gift. I think a lot of us here have done that. We've experienced that and said that. We've experienced a closeness to God, peace and forgiveness for our sins and mistakes. But I don't know about you, but I want to say I'm still missing peace at times. I've accepted that, but I'm missing peace. I'm without peace. I'm troubled. I'm afraid at times. I'm stressed. I'm broken. I'm in conflict. Can you relate? 
In John 16, 33, Jesus acknowledges this actually will always be the case for us while we're here. But he tries to explain to his disciples he's bigger. He says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is important for us not to miss. He knows in the world we're going to have trouble, which I don't know about you, I feel I sense it. I I mourn it. My inner being, it tells me this is true. I feel something is missing in the world. I feel something is missing with what's going on. Like we are not in complete shalom. We are not in RNA. We're not in peace. Which brings us to the future hope of Advent. Our longing for Jesus to return to bring peace to the nations. Peace to those who are hurting. Peace to the world. A time where there's a new heaven and new earth for the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared. That's Revelation 21.1. Where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Revelation 21.4. A time where not just you and I experience peace, but the whole world is in complete peace. Now, that's kind of like a loaded, full study of the word shalom or peace. But what do we do with that? Now knowing that, what do we do with that? For you, maybe you get that you're supposed to experience peace, the peace having Jesus give you peace today, but, but how is maybe your question. How do I actually experience the peace Jesus gives? Or maybe you are thinking, how do I, I know that Jesus is going to come one day, but how do I experience that peace? What do I do while I wait? Like, I'm here waiting. What do I do now? And that's what I want to spend our remaining time on today, answering the question, how do we experience the full peace of Jesus today? And I think through our word study that we just did and the passages we saw with it, it actually tells us quite clearly what we should do. The first thing that I think we need to do is we need to allow God's presence to create peace within you. Is anybody into horror movies? Like you're just like, you're really into scary movies? Oh, way more people in this service than the last stories, or last service. All right, so to experience the full peace of Jesus, just stop watching horror movies and read your Bible. Period. All right, moving on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm half joking. But growing up, I was actually, I wasn't a big fan of horror movies or scary movies because why would I want to make myself scared? Like, why would I do that to myself? Now, I do actually get it because I went through a little bit of an intrigue with horror movies and scary movies years ago as it's kind of this emotional high, right? Woo! But it's also a really great opportunity to cuddle with your girl, so I was all about it. But why would I want to create less peace in my mind? Because before watching that movie, I wasn't afraid about a creepy chick being down in a well, but now I am, right? Like, those are for my ring followers, like people from the 2000s that maybe watched The Ring, that was the popular one when I was around, or when I was younger. The, the movies, though, I actually loved that were kind of scary-ish were the scary movies. Does anybody remember these? There's like multiple ones that just came out after, like, they just started pumping them out like crazy. They're from the 2000s, and it was this movie series that meant to make fun of different movies by making a drama, addressing basically what everyone was thinking, like, while watching the horror movie. Here's a little trailer from one that kind of explains what I'm talking about. You're just too stupid to follow them. We have to call the police. No way. I ain't going to jail. It's okay. I'm fine. We'll get rid of the body. Oh. Oh. I'm going to tell y'all the rules to survive this situation. Rule number one. Don't answer the phone. I'm in the house. Do you know where I am? You're behind the couch. I can um, see your feet. 
This is a bit awkward and silly, right? But like how this movie is a horror movie, and we can like see like, obviously you should be scared, right? Like you can see his feet. You can see what's going on. Like it's just like it's all made up in a sense. We can still let it create havoc into our lives. Even though we can call it out, call the fears out, we can still let it infiltrate and create this mind space that consumes us. There's other things like this. A fear, a worry, a thought, a diagnosis, a loss, a situation. When we experience those things, we get freaked. We get freaked out. And in that moment, what do you fix your thoughts on? Is it on what Philippians 4.8 says, like what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable? Or is it on the last horror movie you saw? What troubles you've had? On what fears you have currently? What you're anxious about? A Christian person, when without peace, shouldn't default to fear and worry. They should default to God's presence. God's presence, the Holy Spirit, is within us. God's part that lives with us. Scripture tells us a Christian has God's presence with them. Jesus says in John 14, 16 and 17, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. You have God. You have God with you always. He's not necessarily going to make what's happening to you stop or like fix it instantly. But there's comfort, there's peace, shalom, to know that God is with you through things, that you're not alone. This isn't easy for anyone to do all the time, to like, be like, oh, I'm not going to be afraid because God's with me. We even see the disciples of Jesus, like the ones who knew this Holy Spirit was going to come, the ones who were with Jesus, they saw Jesus. But after his death, they were still afraid. They locked their doors. They were freaked out about what was going to happen to them. Check this out in verse 19. It says, The disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders. But Jesus came and stood among them and says, Peace be with you. They had fear and they knew about the Holy Spirit and they even saw Jesus in the flesh. Yet this is something God doesn't want from his followers. He wants us to go to him for peace. I don't know if you know this about me. Um, if you've been coming to the church here for a while, you probably have heard this from me multiple times, but I'm a bit of a worrier. I really am. I, I'm embarrassed to say that this is a struggle of mine, but it's an area I need to continually allow God to work through me. I worry. I worry a lot. But to give you a few examples of my worries, I worry offend people. I worry people don't like me. I worry about health and money and providing for my family. I worry about ruining a possibility for something. I worry about like what consequences are going to come to me for doing whatever I did or whatever. And if I let my mind go, I can be really creative to how the outcome plays out, right? When I start worrying about something, I can be really creative. Like, oh my gosh, this, this and this is going to happen now and now this and this. I'm super creative with that, of what my worry can create. And it robs me my peace. I honestly think it's the devil's greatest tool against me. I know I need to get a hold of my worry. Yet the defense I use, the defense I use of why I let myself worry at times is I say, sometimes I'm right. Sometimes it was worth the worry. Sometimes like I needed the worry. Sometimes I actually do offend people. Sometimes I do have consequences. And surprise, surprise, sometimes people don't like me. In that moment, 
I'll say, that's why I needed to worry. So I need to continue to worry because I, I was right this time. But just because I do have actual issues, like everyone else, it doesn't mean I can't have peace. A lot of times, I can instantly find peace again when I say, God's got this. God's got this. He's my Prince of Peace. He is with me. This is important for us to remember because peace, it isn't found in the absence of problems. True peace is found in the presence of God. When you believe that and you put your trust that God is with you, it gives you peace. When asking the question, how do we experience the peace of Jesus? We need to allow God to create peace within you through acknowledging his presence in you. For you to do that this week, what do you need to do? What do you need to do to acknowledge that? For you, maybe you just need to acknowledge God in your fearful moments. Like you need to pray to him and ask for him to comfort you. That's just maybe what you need to do. For you, maybe you need to recite his words by stating verses like, like Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Psalm 27.1, uh, For the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Maybe you need to state those things. Have those memorized, written down somewhere. Maybe for you in that scary moment that pops up for you, maybe you, maybe you need to just declare God's presence is with you out loud. You need to hear it. You need to declare it out loud. Maybe for you it's not letting your anxious thoughts or fears take presence in your mind, but to fixate on what is good and lovely and true. Create peace. To experience peace Jesus has already brought, you need to let his presence, the presence within you, create peace. The next thing that I think we can do to experience shalom of Jesus in the present and also in the future is we need to actively pursue it. Psalm 34, 14, it says this, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Is there anybody here that's like a competitive person when it comes to like playing games of some sort? It could be like a board game. Who's a, where are my board game people at? All right. Like chess. Any chess players? Monopoly. Settlers of Catan. Risk. Okay, oh, oh I gotta start playing some games with you guys. All right. If that's you, if you're a competitive person, have you ever made a plan or a strategy to win? Have you ever, like, in your mind made a plan or strategy to win? If you're actually a competitive person, of course you have. Of course you have. If you haven't, you probably aren't that competitive. You're probably not winning games either. Sorry. But if you actually want a particular outcome, you need a strategy. You need a strategy. To actually seek and pursue peace means to have a strategy. There was a Netflix show that came out about a year ago, and it's called The Queen's Gambit. Did anybody see it? It was a little older. Wait, you guys don't like holding your hands today. Who, who's seen The Queen's Gambit before? All right, all right, more people. All right, great. Thanks for the honesty. The Queen's Gambit. And what it's about is this girl who becomes really good at chess, right? She's really good at chess. She's defeating a ton of other people. But the reason she gets good is she thinks about it. She's like, she, in her mind, she's playing on the ceiling. She's an orphan. And like, so she's just always strategizing. Here's a little scene that kind of describes that. Check it out. I enjoy 
a great game of chess, but I'm not that good at it because I don't strategize super well. I know like where the moves go and stuff, but I'm not that good. My strategy is lacking. Strategy should be active. The kind of peace God brings is active. It's not passive. It's God actively breaking into what's wrong and making, what, making things right. His grand strategy is to make things whole between you and him. We saw that. But then to use you to bring peace to the world and the rest of his people through you. John 20, 20. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Are you seeking and pursuing peace? If you've been a follower of God and you know peace happens through a relationship with him, you know that. But if you're seeking and pursuing to do God's will, or if you're not, doing, if you're not seeking those and do, of doing God's will, it drifts, right? It drifts. If you're not like, conscious about trying to do God's will, it drifts. Peace in your life, in your situation, for others around you, if you aren't in pursuit of it or you just let it sit idle, it's not going to just happen. With that, are you seeking and pursuing the most peace-filled options in your life? Are you strategizing how you can make peace with those around you? Are you strategizing on how to lead people to the peace of God? Are you pursuing relationships with others who want the same type of peace who you are desiring? Are you on mission to bring peace with your actions, your finances, your decisions? Seek and pursue peace. And then our third thing is actively make peace. If the shalom of God is, is God making things right and whole again, the path of a disciple of Jesus, someone who's a follower of Jesus, someone maybe like you or me, who want to be transformed by God daily, we get to prepare the way for his return by actively making peace around us. But we are not to just simply be peacekeepers, but to become peacemakers. As you think about peace, do you see yourself as a peacekeeper? or a peacemaker. There's a difference, and I want to show you a, an example of how I've learned about this difference. Uh, for me personally, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty blunt person. I'm a pretty real person with my friends, with my family specifically. I know it's not great. I have a lot of thoughts that go on in my mind, and I love sharing them, but I know I need to bite my tongue, so I do. I literally bite my tongue sometimes to not overshare. Uh, I love to speak my mind, but there's a time when Sydney and I, my wife, Sydney, we first started dating, and probably in our first year or so of marriage. Uh, we were together a lot, but she did some things that irked me a lot as well. There are a lot of things I'm like, Ugh, I don't love that. No, why are you doing that? And I literally bit my tongue. I, I, I didn't want to address anything. I didn't want to cause a mess. I didn't want to cause an, or address an issue. I didn't want to do anything like wrong. I, I just wanted to keep the peace. She's beautiful. She was with me. We were dating. She had no commitment. So I'm like, I just want her to stay. I just want her to stay with me. So we just like we went with the flow for a long time. But it also, as we kind of got early on into our marriage, I kind of did some of the same stuff too. 
Like, we, we would be, like, out and about, and I'd try to keep the peace between whatever was happening. Whatever would pop, come up, a conversation, however it was going, if it was, like, getting a little, like, little, like uh, volatile or, like, tense, I'd be like, ooh, let's talk about something else. You know, I'd shift gears. Or, ooh, like, I, I just wanted to make sure everything was exciting for us. I wanted it to be a Hallmark movie. I wanted our marriage to be, like, this, this amazing thing. I don't want to disrupt anything. I wanted it to be successful. I wanted to keep the romance and whenever it would get to a spot where it would be like, ooh, the peace is not like, great right now, we'd, we'd shift. We'd change topics. We'd avoid it. We wouldn't address it. Because I wanted to keep the peace. There were clothes and towels everywhere in our house. <gasps> I hated it, but I didn't address it. Sydney was not sharing really what was, she was feeling or what was going on inside of her. I hated that. I wanted to know. But I didn't address it. She did cutting on the counter without a cutting board. Hated that. Ugh. Leaving the car on E. Come on, seriously? Or she'd tell me, this is a, just a pet peeve of mine, but she'd tell me long stories about the dreams she'd have, and I'd be like, I don't care. I don't care about dreams. They're not real. I guess it's just a pet peeve of mine. But these things, they frustrated me, and eventually I just blew up one day. I just blew up one day. I was like, and what kind of came to fruition is we realized we've just been keeping the peace in our relationship. We've been trying not to offend each other, not actually making peace that is desirable in our lifelong relationship. If you're dating right now and you're with your person or another person and you're just good at keeping peace, not good at making peace, maybe you're just really good at pretending not ever to be hurt or offended or frustrated ever, no things are going to have to change. They're absolutely going to have to change. If you're dating and you have someone who just wants to keep the peace, and not make it, run, run. The difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker is a peacekeeper tries to smooth over everything, keep everyone happy without ever putting yourself in an unsettling situation. There's no real reliance on God's presence, on strategy to make more peace. It's just trying to take the path of least resistance. That's a peacekeeper. A peacemaker tries to make peace with what they have both based off of what maybe they feel God is calling them towards and what they feel they, that, that God is saying is best for the situation and they've been processing and want to share and dialogue with the other person about. That's a peacemaker. There's actually a personality test. Um, it's called the Enneagram. And it helps you kind of just like understand yourself a bit better um, and there's a ton of other personality tests like this out there, but this is one that my wife and I, we've done, and it's been super helpful for us because it gives us words and language to how we're feeling, what's going on in our minds, and, and just like you can read about things and kind of understand like, oh, I think, yeah, this is what you're feeling. And she could be like, yeah, that is totally what I'm feeling. Well, there's these different types, and again, so there's different types of personalities. I, I'm a three, which would be like an achiever. That's kind of where I tend to go. My wife is actually a peacemaker, so I'm around a peacemaker a lot. But the reason I want to show you this is it talks about some of the things a peacemaker would do that shows they're becoming unhealthy. It tells you the things that you do like when you're a healthy peacemaker, and it tells you some things that maybe an unhealthy peacemaker would do. And these are a couple of the things that pop up because if we're all called to be a peacemaker, these could be really helpful to us. So here's, here's a couple of the examples. Oop, let's go back to that. So neglecting serious issues. Repressing negative emotions to the point of num numbness, people-pleasing, embracing any form of discomfort feels hard, don't want to talk but blow up really fast, 
passive aggressiveness. Again, this is, this is just for like a peacemaker, someone that ha- tends to have a personality that way, but I think this can apply to all of us if we're pursuing making peace. If we're doing these things, we're not really making peace. We're keeping peace. A follower of God, we've been commissioned to be peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. He's commissioned you and me to bring peace. As we're getting close to wrapping up here, I want to tell you a story in the Bible that has really made this concept real to me. And it's one that I never thought would actually reference peace. Uh, but wow, as I've been reflecting on it and sitting with it this week, it's been, it's been powerful for me. So I want to share it with you. It's in the time where Jesus is actually in a boat with his disciples. Uh, he's, he's in a boat with his disciples and a storm hits. If you've been in the church world for a while, you've heard this story. Uh, a storm hits, waves are coming, uh, waves are crashing, the boat's going crazy, his disciples are going crazy. They are freaked. They're nervous about what's going on and guess what Jesus is doing? He's sleeping. And he's sleeping. He's chill. He's like, ah, it's no big deal. Like, but the disciples are freaking. It's, it's told in multiple gospels. They, they are scared. Well, they wake Jesus up, and this is what happens next. Mark 4, 39. Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He stops the storm. He rebukes what started the storm. These are things that are in his power. He's God, right? He can control the wind and the waves and the weather. And his disciples, they're in awe, but brought back to a calm. Jesus stops the lack of shalom for his disciples, and he restores peace for them. As I've been thinking about this, when people aren't experiencing peace, do you rebuke what's causing the lack of peace? Do you stop what's in your control? You obviously can't control the wind and the waves and the water and the weather, right? But you can control other things. For you, what that maybe looks like for you is, do you call that bully out at school and stop them from bullying your friend? Do you rebuke the racist or the sexist or the diminishing undertone from some of your coworkers towards another and stop it? Do you humbly try to help your friend see the, maybe the poor decisions that you've been seeing for so long that they're making and help them see and help them try to get back on track of things? Do you know someone who's been saying, ah, I just, I'm not close to God anymore, but you've realized like, they haven't been to church or around a faith community for months. So you encourage them and you call them out on it, but you challenge them to get closer to God. We are to actively make peace. We can do that for others in situations and in promptings. As we circle back to how we started today, Advent, it reminds us Jesus has brought peace for us, between us and God, a relationship of wholeness and completeness, and we celebrate that. It's amazing. But as we wait for Jesus' second coming to bring full peace to the world, today I have a longing to be used by God for that. A longing for God to be a help to make that happen. Part of me is hopeful that what I do today in making peace for myself and others helps get us closer to that new earth, to that restored earth, one of full peace one day. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if, I'm not trying to make a theological statement or anything like that, but I believe peace God has first given to me and then now has commissioned me to give to others is not for nothing. 
It's not for nothing. I want my peace to matter. Do you want that? This week, as we prepare to remember the peace Jesus brought us as individuals to make things right between us and God, are you also allowing his presence to be what gives you peace, even in frightening times? Are you actively pursuing peace as we wait for him to come and make everything right for all mankind? And lastly, are you actively making peace? I'm going to pray that we can find that wholeness of peace that comes through Jesus, but then in addition to that, we can also go out and make peace uh, and not just be a peacekeeper, but be a peacemaker. If you want God to prompt you to be a peacemaker, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us, first of foremost, peace. Peace in a connection to you. We can experience full peace in our relationship with God and you and just know that that connection is restored. Then, God, we also want to be peacemakers. You've called us to be a peacemaker. Have us bring peace, make peace, pursue peace. Have it be something that we long for for the future so that one day the full world experiences peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.